Hey there, I'm Scott Mitchell, the editor of Schwartz Media's daily news show, 7am. This is The Weekend Read. Every month on the show, we feature the best long-form journalism in Australia, read to you by the people who wrote it. Today on the show, journalist and writer Erin O'Dwyer, with her piece from The Saturday Paper. As housing becomes less affordable and the search for adequate accommodation more desperate, she investigates how we can escape from the urban sprawl. She makes the case that designing our homes doesn't have to be a luxury, and that as we build more and more of them to address the housing shortage, happiness for the people living in them shouldn't be an afterthought. Erin will read her story, Tree Change, after a short conversation. To hear more Weekend Reads, you can subscribe to The Weekend Read in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Erin, thanks so much for joining us on The Weekend Read. I wanted to start by asking what inspired you to write the piece you're about to read for us. Oh, thanks very much for inviting me on. Uh, The piece was really inspired, I think, by a move that I made from a townhouse into uh, what I would describe as a treehouse up in the hinterland uh, behind where I was living before. And it's lovely to be able to have the opportunity to write short pieces like this, which I think have high impact because they take you know, a deeply personal, small scale, intimate experience and really drop it on the landscape of something much bigger that's happening and that is housing in our country. Housing's on the agenda and and we're all grappling to find appropriate, affordable housing where we can build happy homes. I think housing is so inaffordable and stable, you know, home ownership is so inaccessible for so many millions of Australians that it's a really tricky subject to write on and I had to be quite careful in how I approached it. My experience was that I was living in a townhouse where I had no light and I lived there for seven years. So to move into a treehouse in the hinterland that had light and space for me and my children was just a game changer in terms of our mental health. And I suppose my point was that as we're building more housing and particularly more social and affordable housing, which is the plan of the new government, that we must also be mindful of building homes that give light and space and happiness. And where are you as you read your piece for us today? So I am in the treehouse and uh, I live in in the beautiful Illawarra, which is um, a coastal region south of Sydney, and I'm high up on the Illawarra Escarpment, which is just a beautiful place to live and work. Erin, thanks so much, and I'm really looking forward to hearing you read your piece. Thank you. Tree Change A few years ago, I was involved in the design of a social housing project. The project had all the best possible intentions. It aimed to address homelessness among older single women by building high-quality, affordable eco-townhouses in a gentrifying suburb close to the city. Like many architect design projects, it came in over budget. I watched as the project team made sacrifices to save money. First, they settled on a cheaper block of land in a less salubrious area. Next, they abandoned the vaulted ceilings that gave the townhouses a sense of graciousness and space. Finally, they cancelled the elegant louvered windows and screened verandas that caught the light at just the right time of day, 
and also offered ventilation and privacy. The result was a blueprint for just another block of townhouses, functional, bland and boring. Whether the designers could have made better use of the light offered by the new parcel of land, I don't know. The project didn't win its tender, the blueprint was shelved, and the rest, as they say, is history. I grew up in Queensland, which is to say I know the joy of living in a house that captures light and space well. The architects of the original Queenslanders prioritised beauty, sustainability and affordability. They worked with the elements, not against them. In my 20s, I weathered several blisteringly hot summers in a Federation-era Queenslander with wraparound verandas. Nearly every room opened onto that veranda, which let light in and kept sun out. French doors regulated air flows like gills. We kept them permanently open, in rain, hail and relentless sunshine. Even on a modest income, I've always managed to find beautiful places to live. A childhood friend describes it as my superpower, but even superheroes are not immune to the vicissitudes of life. After a couple of property missteps in the bleary haze of new motherhood, I found myself moving from a spacious post-war Queenslander in Brisbane into a two-bedroom brick townhouse in the shadowy lee of the Illawarra Escarpment. To say that my townhouse was functional is to state the obvious. For a time, it suited me perfectly well. I had two small children and it was safe and secure. It had a bathtub and a lock-up garage and it was compact and economical to heat. Best of all, it was near the beach. From my bedroom window, I had a glimpse of the sea. I watched the waiting cargo ships shimmer on the horizon at night. On weekends, I checked the storm clouds gathering to the south to see whether we'd get wet on our bike ride. Ocean views, exclaimed my childhood friend. My townhouse caught me at a time when I needed to be held, but it had no garden, no veranda and no privacy. I could hear every word my neighbour said and the yapping of her cocker spaniel bounced off the brickwork, making one dog sound like ten. The longer I lived there, the more I complained about the poor design. It was aligned east-west instead of north-south, which meant the driveway got all the sunshine. The downstairs living areas were dark all day, while the upstairs bedrooms caught the natural light. I prowled the tiny courtyard looking for a spot of sunshine in which to sip my morning coffee. I craved louvers, French doors and a veranda. I longed for a home that made my heart sing. I knew we'd outgrown it when I began referring to my boys as lion cubs and my noisy neighbours as something worse. My boys and I were climbing the walls. We were unhappy, short-tempered, argumentative. If we wanted to relax, we had to go to a cafe. But what could we do? Moving meant trading up to a more expensive house and a much larger mortgage. Or trading out to a cheaper house further away from our friends, school and community. Pandemic lockdowns were the final straw. Just the thought of 14 days of solitude with two lion cubs and 10 cocker spaniels was enough to break me. I rented out my neat-as-a-pin, freshly renovated beachside townhouse and in turn rented a run-down, rambling old treehouse in the hinterland. And suddenly, there was light. Our treehouse has a veranda that catches sunshine all day. 
Its enormous windows let in the light and frame the grey-green bush. I can't see my neighbours, much less hear them. And instead of barking dogs, there are noisy birds. I know the call of a catbird, the mating cry of a feral peacock, and the sound a wild deer makes when she is giving birth. My workroom, which is at the front of the house, is embraced by two boughs of a white oak tree. I work each day within its canopy. A fat kookaburra visits my window, and I watch pea-green bowerbird hens and their glossy blue mates inspect the grass for worms. Once, three pairs of crimson rosellas performed a tightrope act in the oak tree for my pleasure. Any housing decision involves risk. Mine has paid off in spades. My children are happy, we enjoy each other's company. We eat breakfast together on our sunny veranda, and in the afternoons we soak up the last rays of sunlight before another day slips behind the escarpment. We're monitoring the peach, lemon, lime, guava and macadamia nut trees to see which will bear fruit. We're still in driving distance of all our old haunts, but we no longer need to leave the house to relax. Home is where the happiness is. Is good design a luxury when it comes to housing? My experience would say no, and research backs it up. The city of Copenhagen, where good urban design is prioritised, consistently ranks at the top of the United Nations Happiness Index and in the World Health Organization's Healthy Cities Initiative. But designing for happiness must be deliberate. British architect Ben Channon, in his new book, The Happy Design Toolkit, lists seven housing design factors that influence well-being. His number one priority, light. After that comes comfort and materials, control and autonomy, nature, aesthetics, activity and community. Shannon often quotes the pioneering Swiss-French architect Le Corbusier, who said, among other gems, architecture is a learned game, correct and magnificent, of forms assembled in the light. Housing is on the agenda in our country. Unthinkable fires and floods mean we can no longer build how and where we used to. Nine successive interest rate rises and more to come will place many people in untenable situations. News this week that credit card applications are up is a terrible sign of things to come. People are feeling trapped and desperate and it's a terrible place to be. Adequate housing is a basic human right and we need an urgent national conversation on its affordability. Any commitment to ending the housing affordability crisis must put homelessness and housing insecurity first. And to do that, we need long-term, deep-pocketed investment in social and affordable housing. But that housing must also be designed with people's happiness and well-being in mind, housing that lets the light in, literally. Not far from where I live in southwest Sydney, acres and acres of farmland are currently being turned over for new housing estates to accommodate the city's growing population. No doubt we need more housing, but we must insist developers think about more than just the bottom line. A little extra thought, a little extra investment. A screened veranda here, an extra window there, will pay off for generations. Leave the trees and let in the light. Thank you.